This week, we talk about Wednesday, 5.1 Channel Surround Sound, and the business of Broadway. And now your host, Mike Indeglio. What is up, friends? It's Mike Indeglio, that's Keith Varney, and this is K&M Geekly. Just a sneak peek at two geeks talking about some of the things that are getting them through this week, because it is a Monday, 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 in every sense of the word. Keith and I are barely cogent, uh, barely sentient, some would say, Keith. We'll and see about that, we are whether just, we can even achieve barely. We are tuning our shrill voices and directing shrill. them. <laughs> direct, that's a very specific word, by the way. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I don't disagree, but yeah. I appreciate everybody having our back. Yeah. See, I, I'm usually the one who like will fight back, but I didn't need to because you jumped in, surprisingly, and then a whole bunch of the rest of our fine I was folks. very polite, though. I was very polite. That's usually yeah, my I, role. I'm usually, you know, polite but condescending. That's that's really my. Uh, no, it's my, it's been a great week at on the channel for a variety of reasons. Keith and I have been very busy, and so we haven't. I haven't really got to catch up with you, so I'm excited to chat a little bit today. So buckle up, folks. We're gonna have some chit chat before we get into the good stuff. Oh God. <laughs> uh, but it's been fun to watch the channel. Some subscribers have been coming in. We've been getting some comments and visits from people that we we hadn't met before some professional New wrestlers folks. jumping in watching some old content our old podcast is like doing numbers it's it's been a fun week keith i uh i had a little bit of spiritual growth this week oh do tell I'm i will excited to hear I, about I haven't this. shared much about it but i'm doing this little christmas show uh here in pennsylvania where i did i love you perfect now change last year Spring, it's a Cole Porter show that you're basically writing. Yeah, so it was, how it was initially pitched uh, was that it was this sort of, like every year at Christmas time, they do a sort of variety show at this theater, and there's lots of skits and funny improvisational stuff, and it's holiday themed, and that's right up my alley. And it turns out that what they actually wanted was a more, they've this season they've done more biographically tuned type material, and so they wanted a really not narrative driven, a very biographically driven show about Cole Porter and just singing his tunes, sort of like a, just a concert. Not a lot of, he didn't write a lot of holiday music. In fact, he didn't really write any holiday music. And so <laughs> there's like one spoof section we do, but mostly just a Cole Porter concert, which gave me, you know, I, my imposter syndrome kicked in and I, it's it's not the material I sing. I don't know a lot of that stuff, and it's not funny, and I'm going to look stupid. I've always, uh, as much as I love wholesome cheese uh, in in media, especially during this holiday time, it's not it's not usually what I like to serve. If you know what I'm saying, it's not that's not my wheelhouse. Cheese is not my wheelhouse generally. Do you feel weird not being funny on stage? It, it's well. It, if it's scripted, that doesn't bother me, right? It's when I have to like have an air of, well, you and I are very similar in, in different ways. Like you use self-deprecation as sort of your shield and my shield mm -hmm. is gags, right? Jokes and gags and being funny or quick-witted or quippy or whatnot. And so if I don't have that, it's, I feel very vulnerable and I think people are think I look silly or stupid. And it's, it's a lot of just therapy stuff, right? It's a lot of like- Totally, um, isn't everything? But I, I had a I had a colleague, an actor, when I was a young person in the business, say to me, and I, I wish I could remember who it was. But I think it was Michael Kreutz, actually. 
uh, who oh, you would remember, I love uh, who I Roberts. just thought was just, he was such a great, he was really great as a person who had been in the business for a long time at disseminating information without sounding a certain way, you know? Sound. Well, he's, he's, he's two things. One, he's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's, he teaches at Emerson now. Um, I think he did then too, but he's also just an incredibly classy yeah. person. So you just take what he says with more salt. Or less salt, I guess, with less salt than you would other people. He said something akin to, I was a swing in that show, and I just didn't feel like I was contributing. I was young, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I wouldn't even call it a, I was an ensemble member who theor, who was a theoretical swing. <laughs> like, if things I, catch I on fire. Say, we did the entire tour, not a single understudy yep. the entire time. So, which is a miracle. So, anyway... Uh, we he, were not ready to no. have anybody be out. He said something along the lines of, sometimes you don't love the job, but you have to do the job. He said it more eloquently than that, but it's never, it's very true. And I'm, that was a feeling I had, and it clicked over this week. And I was like, you know what? Stop trying to love this. Like, stop trying to make it something it's not. Figure out what it is, know the gig, and then do that. And eventually, in doing it, it will, maybe you'll find some enjoyment. And I have you know, uh, my my wife is out of town right now doing uh, uh, her show in New York, and so we haven't really, like, done Christmas to the house and stuff. It doesn't make a lot of sense to do that up. And so I was like, maybe I'm going to be bah humbug this season. But the, the set, Keith, is they've, like, really holidayed it up. It's very warm. And, and so rather than have the Christmas material, it's just a vibe. And so uh-huh. I'm like, oh, so I get to go to work every day, second job, and – have that vibe and get that feeling of the season. So it's been actually a really kind of good, and I'm having to sing a little bit more legit than I'm used to when I had to come up with an arrangement of a song and a guitar. That's not usually how I would do it. it was, there's been some challenges, and so if, as long as you can get some challenges out of something, there's also the cast as much, uh, one of the cast members is like 25 years old, and so it's uh, it's weird being old. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's, that's It's weird being old, yeah, the Mike and Deglio story. It's an adjustment there, but it's, it's, it's been fun. So anyway, uh, that's, that's what I've been up to. What are you been up to, buddy? Yeah, well, I mean, actually, a, a fairly, fairly similar, fairly similar vibe. Um, yeah, I've been, you know, just here, here in the house, just me and the cat. I haven't, I haven't decorated either. Mm-hmm. I think I might put some lights up on the shrubs in front of the house, but that's that cool. might be, you know, that might be the, the extent of, of what I do. I'll be heading up um, to uh, to my folks' place for Christmas itself. Uh, so that'll be fun. Will there be snow? Uh, Has it been snowing up there? Oh, yeah. No, they've, they've had snow. It's snow for Thanksgiving. Um, you know, it's it's Vermont. It's very cold. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, no, that, that'll be nice. No, it's, it's, it's funny you, you talk about, like, the job doesn't always have to be fun. Mm-hmm to be of use to be to be valuable and not to get too like existential into it but like uh i you know i i feel that performing in theater is you know and and your thing is it's not like a book show or whatever sort of a a review or whatever but but anytime you're doing a show regardless of whether you like it regardless of whether you like the part or the producers or the venue or the production i I always keep in my head that there is a good chance that in the audience mm. every single night, there's a good chance there's either going to be either or both somebody's first ever show or last ever show. And I take that as a great responsibility um, because th- those are really special and really important. And it might not be important to you, you know, like I'm doing like, 
you know, like a bad production of the producers up in upstate New York and whatever. And the show's not that good. The production's not that good. It doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. Because I remember my first show and I wasn't there. I I wasn't caring about whether, you know, about your, about your contract or about your housing or about whether that flat looks fake or whether the, you know, whether the understudy is on, it doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and some, at some point I will see my last show. And I, I, because I think theater and live performance is sacred, uh, it is really, I think that's a tremendously important and humbling responsibility because you don't know whether or not it's somebody's first or last. And, and that's, that's not something that you should take serious or take lightly. And it's not something, and it's, it's a responsibility, right? To that person. Uh, This is, I'm going to, I have, I want to be, I want to be respectful, uh, so I'll say when my dad passed away, I was was opening night of a, sh- a play I was doing, like a community theater, nothing play, mm. but I didn't know what else to do but to go and do it, right? And I'll always, I think we've talked about this in another we show. We've talked somewhere. about it on the on yeah. yeah. I'll never not love and respect the, the people I worked with because they were they created such an, a supportive environment during that just insane period. One of the people I'm working with now, I'll keep it really vague, just lost a really close family member in really Mm -hmm. tragic circumstances and has decided for whatever the reasons, and it's not important for us to know, they want to still, they they honored the contract and are doing this show. And this isn't, you know, this isn't like a breakout. (laughs) Like, right, it's not the big break. Yeah. and I respect that professionalism. I respect that choice because it's a choice. They could easily back out and say, hey, you know what? We get it. We, we totally get it. Um, but now I'm on the other side of that table and I can create that sort of respectful yet supportive. And like, it's mm. it's a challenge. I didn't recognize how hard that is to like offer someone what they need, but maybe like depending day to day in a professional environment that's also like singing and dancing and like serving Christmas cheese. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh there's so many challenges and and it's also been nice to like meet some new people who are like you know you know how when you're very young in the business or any business I guess you start a new job and you feel like you gotta like be friends with everybody and go out and hang out and uh, every night this go get a drink mm-hmm. or this uh, it's nice also when that's not the case and you're like no, hey you we're don't. friends we're doing friends we're doing the show's an hour and then at eight o'clock we're gonna go home and we don't it's the night's over that's just there's something beautiful about that too so. Anyway, what I have missed though is doing the shows. We've like skipped a few and we've backed, we back, we front ended a few. So it's been, it's gonna be nice to kind of get back into the thing, back, do the thing. This is like, I didn't realize what therapy this thing is for me too. Well, you know, it's, it's funny with, with Geekly, um, with this show that you're now currently watching, um, we're still sort of finding what the format of yeah. this show is and mm-hmm. f- trying to figure out what this show is. And we're sort of letting it happen organically. Um, but in a lot of ways, all of our shows eventually just descend into you and I talking about life. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like that's kind of what this show is. Toys has like a very firm thing and. Toys is very specific. Deep Space Space Nine Nine is is very very rigid. Although Toys is evolving too. It's clearly becoming about customs and will evolve into like bigger toys. I I see where that's going. This show, I don't know, but you know what? Also, I don't give too many craps because it could very much be Rogan. Yeah, nobody watches and it could just be Rogan, us Roganing for 16 hours and just (laughs) chatting. Oh, you want to just like throw out some like, you know, conspiracy 
theories for uh, for dumb people who think they're smart. Yeah, but then we'll have Neil deGrasse Tyson on, and like we'll have a great, really incredible conversation while one of us smokes weed. Getting spanked by an adult. Yeah. Anyway, now that we've talked about that, <laughs> let's talk about TV, baby! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's let's talk about a little TV because uh, we both have been watching something or I'll, I'll say I've been watching something that I enjoyed. Uh, uh-huh. Are you watching something that you've enjoyed? I am. Well, Keith, we got a double thumbs up maybe this week. We've yeah, I know I've, we... sh- I've crapped upon some things. Uh, and then I want to I'm excited about your second topic, because just this morning, before I even saw what you were going to be chatting about, I was watching this really fascinating YouTube video. I'll link it below uh, about it was this, this kid who's re- decided to redefine so when talking about Broadway shows specifically, there has been a book. I can't remember the oh, I can't remember the author. Maybe you can Google it for me while I'm talking. Uh, who sort of wrote the definitive volume on f- music flops, musical flops, and it's called Not Since Carrie. I think it's Ken Rosenbaum oh, or Rosen- that's Richard Mandelbaum. Richard I own Mandelbaum. the book. I've, yeah, I, I, I've read that book multiple <clears throat> yes, times. Yes, me too. Uh, and it's basically been the the de facto. Uh, tome on Broadway flops. And he gives four really specific criteria, but he really bases it fiscally. Did did a show recoup its initial investment, but... Ken Mandelbaum's. Ken, yeah. Uh, But that has... Also, also, uh, not a kid. The book came out in 1992. uh, Yes, I'm talking about uh, this (laughs) video I watched Uh, recently. I get you. And who's saying that, though that is the de facto definitive uh, book on it, uh, we have to kind of change the criteria of what a flop is because basically 20% of all shows recoup their investment, which means 80% don't. But 80% yeah. of shows aren't flops, right? There are other criteria. Mm-hmm. The critical 100%. reception, do they have long legs in touring and regional productions? Your Seuss the Musical was a huge flop in New York, but – yeah, out on the circuit. So, oh, I, I could, I could, we could do an entire episode on that, and maybe we will. But anyway, this guy, this, this, it's like a twenty-minute YouTube video where he's redefining what a flop is and ex- explaining does it even matter. It's a really interesting video. I'll link it below. Uh, so I'm interested to talk to you, Keith, because you're bringing up. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your day job. A little bit, yeah, which is cool. Uh, but I think we should start. Um, where, do you want to start with me or you? What do you think? Uh, well, we should start by thanking our patrons. Yes, we should. Hello, uh, just uh, the folks. If you are a patron, and you know, if you're watching this, chances are you're a much. We have a much higher percentage of patrons watching this show than the other ones. Fair. Uh, some uh, some fine folks, and guess what, uh, patrons? Uh, I dropped just this morning the well, I'm uh, the seeing first, that now. Yeah, part one of Star Trek Restoration, the uh, Star Trek spec script that I wrote as a screenplay and then adapted into a graphic novel, uh, which has no graphics yet, but uh, and because it can't ever be produced commercially because Picard broke the timeline. But if you're a patron, you can find on patreon.com slash K&M volume one of Star Trek Restoration written by yours truly. Mike, who has access to that right now? Right now, the only people in the world who can check it out are our new friend, Eric Wilson. Thanks for joining the team, Eric. Delusions at Noon at Grim Toys, Charles Babbage, CRM Productions, Warps Boot Shivs, we know who that is, and the mysterious, the mysterious Anne. Jorge Navoa, an old-time friend, Andrew Hayes, Jason Moe, Cloud Lovers 69. I had a dream 
that Cloud Lover sixty nine was in. It was really funny. Uh, should I'll, we tell? Should we? Yes, tell I can tell it. Casey Clark and Brian Kaufman. They're still paying for the podcast that we're out that we've uh, shut down like a, six months ago. No, they pay, no. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. Well, they're still living rent free in my head. Uh, I guess not mm. rent free. Clearly paying rent. That's true. Uh, paying I had a dream. I was at a restaurant. Rent. Something was happening in a restaurant, and I like mm-hmm. I kept checking because my name and i was like i know that i was above i was before these people i was like I, I couldn't get sat at this restaurant and um they were calling off names and one was cloud lover 69 and <laughs> it was like cloud lover 69 i was like i know i was here before <laughs> oh my god Isn't that crazy that is amazing uh yeah so you can join all of them at patreon.com slash k and m spell out that and uh and get really uh really fun stuff so mike Talk about your show. Let's let's talk about some TV. Yeah, so, you know, I dropped a, a, a Geekly Mini last week because, you know, I had watched the big budget. I love uh, cheesy Christmas movies or wholesome Christmas movies at this time, as we talked about. Keith and I are actually going to rank our definitive top holiday movies, which he's yeah, looking forward them. to. Yeah, so that's, here we go. I can't wait. Um, I love them. Anyway, uh, and I didn't love Spiritin, so I wanted to let you know I had seen A Christmas Story Story? A Christmas Story Christmas, and I liked it. So uh, we were looking for something else to watch. Um, and so you, for the, those of you who may recall, you may not, if you listen to some of our other content, this past summer I went and did uh, a musical called The Addams Family. And I absolutely have always liked the, the IP, The Addams Family. Uh, hold on, I have some graphics. Let me yeah, see if show I can. us some. Uh, um, I actually don't have any from the show. Which we've is, turned into a screensaver. What's that? <laughs> We're just on a screensaver now. We got we, we got to we got to zhuzh it up. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're totally right. Uh, bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Somebody pulled that out for um, a soundboard. Yeah. So I have always liked the property, uh, going way back to the original comic, which I started my research for the show and had had, had read years ago. Um, I always dug the sort of macabre vibe of it. Uh, and then that, of course, evolved to the television show, which I was a big fan of because I I, I loved the performance. Uh, I thought it was just a slapstick. It went head-to-head with the Munsters, you might recall, Keith, which was mm-hmm. a, also a very similar vibe, just clearly uh, different properties, and they sort of had a war. But I was thought the- Deep Impact versus- uh, <laughs> Armageddon. Armageddon, yeah. Uh, and then everyone remembers the first two movies uh, with Angelica Houston, who I still think is sort of the template Morticia and Raul Julia in just like a, a baffo performance. And Christopher Lloyd, a lot of people forget Christopher Lloyd, yeah. like sort of it was a Lloyd essence because uh, he had done a lot of voiceover work and stuff. And then this was another major uh, picture for him. But you'd think that the Adams family kind of died after that, but because uh, there was an ill-fated Broadway musical. Speaking of flops. Uh, that didn't do so well in New York, but I well. saw the, I saw the uh, well, I, I I'm not going to say what they used to be called, but I'll say the final invited dress. Okay, what did that. they used to be? I don't I don't know if that I know that, but now there's this like CGI animated version. They've had a few films that is very popular. So when I heard, so I I was into all these properties, and then I had got I had done the Adams Family, and that was like a triumph for myself because I didn't think I could play the part I had to play, and and I I think I did a pretty good job. So and during that run, they announced uh, the new Adams Family. It was going to be hel- uh, helmed by Tim Burton, 
um, they really pushed the Tim Burtoniness of it. Although uh, it was written by uh, and created by Alfred Goh and uh, Miles Miller, Millar, Miller, Millar. Uh, regardless, who were is the the driving force, the creators and showrunners of Keith? Do you know? I I do not. Smallville, oh, which whoa is like Mike Candy, right? That was somebody save me! Come on! Which turned out to be a a Superman show where they promised in the first season that he'd never wear the suit. Eventually, he does wear the suit because he, they kept getting in the renewed. Last 15 frames of a 15 season show <clears throat> yeah um but point being is is they made it work they made a young uh, clark kent growing up kind of origin story in smallville freak of the week type show and i thought it was excellent i thought and it ran for so long yeah like eventually like up. he didn't become superman till he was pushing 40 i mean it's got sex cult members in it it's got the it's got the works <laughs> allison mack uh was chloe was a great character i just i loved that show and so i found out they were a part of this uh, I was really curious as to how, in fact, the, uh, the, the they would vibe with the uh, Tim Burtonness of it all. Right? Uh, could be a great marriage, or it could be uh, confused. So, listen, I'll say up front, it doesn't need my bump, Keith, because it is blowing up. I think it's only under Stranger Things season four for like Netflix. Uh, streams. It's so been pretty giant. It's yeah. been pretty a huge uh, success. So I don't want to belabor and talk for 45 minutes, but I will say this. <clears throat> um, I was the first, the first 10 minutes of the series really gives you those Tim Burton vibes. It's a shot of the family in the car taking Wednesday to this boarding school. And it's got everything Tim Burton. It's styled Tim Burton. The way their hair is uh, styled is very Tim Burton. The shots, the close-ups, the, the, the visual design is very Tim Burton. After those 10 minutes, the, the biggest, the, I'm going to give you my biggest gripe of the whole thing right now. Uh, and who knows how it will play out because the family does not play a very big role. It's very much Wednesday show as all of the marketing. It's not a it's not a bait and switch. The marketing shows very much that. There is zero sexual chemistry between Gomez and Morticia, which is sort of the defining characteristic of their relationship. There, there was mm -hmm. a big sort of hubbub about the casting of uh, Luis Guzman as as Gomez. I have no problem with that. He's I doing, love Luis yeah, Guzman. He's doing what he does. It's different than the normal Gomez's you've seen, but if you look at Raul Julia versus uh, the actor who plays him in the in the sitcom, everybody gives their own spin. Uh, he's very well, much... Also, if you go back to the original comics, it looks just like Luis Guzman. Yes, it's a very... Uh, and no, this is not... A, I'm not... This is not a pejorative. It's a grotesque uh, physical appearance. That's the kind of vibe of it. I mean, the, the cartoon Gomez, if we go back, I think I have the shot of it up here, is very... I mean, that's, look at that. That's great. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, there, but like, but you, there is one episode where they flash back and you see, you know, their their, their thing develop. So anyway, um, outside of that, I, I didn't uh, see a lot of Tim Burton. And the first, he, it turns out he only directed the first four episodes. And so it does feel like, so he had, my understanding is that Tim Burton had had uh, an opportunity to direct the second Adams Family movie. He was attached to it. 
Uh, and then, really? yeah, whatever happened, happened, and that did not come to pass. I'm surprised so, he would hop onto a sequel. Yeah, everything. Well, yeah, I don't I don't know the machinations of it. I just know that that was some of the talk going into this is like, finally, he gets his to try his hand at the Adams family. Right. Um, here's the thing. Uh, you just don't get a lot of Tim Burton in those first four episodes. And what you do get feels conflicted i will say in those first four episodes the show struggles mightily to um to know what it is or to know what it's who its audience is and what type of show it wants to be is it a gothic horror because there's some sort of horror type elements there's a central mystery uh, wednesday ostensibly goes to boarding school and there's a mystery that evolves and she's attempting to solve this mystery she goes to Hogwarts, it looks like. Yes. Uh, the the big kind of departure from general Adam's family feeling is in, in Adam's family, we are de- we're firmly grounded in the real world with these people who just have an oddball sensibility of what they like and what they think is normal. It's a it's a it's a philosophical exploration of what normal means. Uh, here, there are supernatural folks who exist in this world who are not secret. Hmm. They are uh, called outcasts, and there are normies, right? So your muggles and your wizards. Right, right. Uh, and there are, uh, they are in categories. There are sirens, there are werewolves, there are vampires, there are people with, like, telekinesis, uh, which is where, Ad- where Wednesday falls in. And then there Pretty are fun. normies. So, you know, that's, okay, that's new. Uh, and uh, is it going to be scary? Is it going to be, what's it going to be? Uh, and that's where I think the Tim Burton-ness of it is there's a struggle because Tim Burton clearly had a very, I want this to be scary or have a, a horror type aesthetic or feel, but it doesn't quite work, Keith, because at its core, what this show wants to be uh, as you can tell from the trailer, and as you can kind of tell by who created it, it wants to be sort of like a teen drama, right? It wants to be sort of Smallville, right? And Smallville. It's sort of like a light drama comic, because at least from the trailer, it looks like pretty comedic, too. Yeah, there are comedic beats. Uh, and, you know, it, it, the Adams Family property, it's all one-liner gags. It's right. some, a normie says something normal, and then an Adams Family member says juxtaposes that with something creepy, right. spooky, or ooky. Um, which can be a trap, right? Because you're you're creating a very limited box. So let me get to the thing. After, after episode four, the show finds its footing because there's no more Tim Burton and the directors let the show be what it is, which is a CW drama with a really high budget. Uh, and it's got a Smallville vibe. Great interplay between the kid actors. Uh, they're, they're, I think it's very well cast. Um, and I think... You know, the mystery, the central mystery, did I figure it out pretty much right away? Yeah. Yes, I did. Uh, does Do they do some cool stuff with, like, some twists and turns? Yeah. Some great relationships built? Absolutely. Does it look cool? Yeah, the CGI is meh. But it's, it's firmly, it knows what it wants to be after those first four episodes. This dance sequence, stellar. But let me get to what, what it really is. I think... For the most part, objectively, it's it's an okay show. It's totally cool, right? There's it's nothing special, except Jenna Ortega, who I think it's Jenna. Uh, let me just check. Yes, Jenna Ortega, who plays the titular Wednesday Adams. 
I have a good shot of her, is an absolute revelation. We all know Wednesday Adams. It's a very specific character. We all really know Christina Ricci, right? That's she really blew up with that. It is a very it is a very rigid character. She doesn't do a lot of facial ex- ex- uh, articulation. She has a very specific sensibility. Uh, there's as an actor, you don't have a lot of room to give a performance because there are a lot of rules with this character. I think this actress, she uh, I know she's done some other stuff, but this is sort of a break. This is a breakout performance. It is spectacular. She choreographed her dance sequences. She learned to play the cello for this role. She learned to fence for this role. She learned to do all of the things she had to do to do it. She develops an incredible relationship with a CGI, a Nazi, or a, a blue, a green screened hand to play thing. Her interaction with the other characters, amazing. She is in every frame of this show and is spectacular, Keith. Mm. If you have no interest in this show, you should watch it to see an actress cementing herself. I mean, in a, in, a, in the titular role, she's 20 years old. I mean, Wednesday, 16, she's 20, reads perfectly. That is young. What were you doing? We were we were on tour when we were 20. Not even. No, I was yeah. still in college. Yeah, we, we weren't I mean, the, she, we're she not had, this talented. At this point, <laughs> she, she'd already done Scream. Uh-huh. She'd already, uh, she was an ex, which I haven't seen yet. I want to. Um, American Carnage. She's, she's done a ton. She's been working. She takes this role and makes it hers. She takes this show and makes it work, much like Tom Welling in, in Smallville. I mean, without him, I don't know that the show has the legs it has. And this show, which was is very cool, uh, she she firmly makes it work. Her relationship with um, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who plays Morticia, very well. She's only in like two episodes, so it's hard to, but she is she does give really good performance. I have to say, I thought Tim Burton probably brought a lot of eyeballs to it, but I felt that his four, four episodes, the front four, were the weakest. After the fourth episode, so the second half, really takes off and it knows what it wants to be. It leaves itself a lot of room for future seasons. And all else said, I think it looks pretty good. Uh, it's, it, yeah, it, it's great. It's fine. It's very Smallville. It's, the tone is very Smallville. Uh, but this actress is absolutely superb in this role. And I hope she finds herself an Emmy nom for it uh, because she's totally deserving. So that's my that's my general feelings on Wednesday. I know it's not uh, 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 the hottest of takes, but even if you're on the fence about it, I think it's worth a watch. Uh, I think you'll get hooked because she's that good. I really think she is that good. Cool. Well, I, I've, I haven't seen the show. I haven't really paid much attention to it whatsoever, but I do see uh, on uh, on Musician TikTok, there's, there's a lot of discussion about the cello playing and that the cello piece that she plays is quite literally impossible to be played by a human, um, talking about how they probably, they pulled off some of those leaps mm-hmm. um, by... Uh, because basically they they she has to she has these which which is sort of impossible to do so they had they probably had two cello parts one doing the top two notes one doing the bottom two notes which they then combined uh 
in Pro Tools, which is which is cool. And it makes sense if there's like a magical element to it. Why wouldn't she be able to play things that are quite literally impossible to be played by yeah, human beings? I'm sure she's not like but she oh, d- did oh, learn no, to play for you know, so nobody's it doesn't thinking look fake. She's playing it. There's no way in hell. And However. I should mention that, you know, the uh, Tim Burton's involvement did lead us to getting a pretty banger uh front theme and end theme and i believe it is by danny elfman because you know they go way back that would that would make sense um so yeah dude i I think it's worth a watch uh i'm in for season two when it happens i'm sure it will although netflix doesn't really like announce those things until it's time so uh keith you have been on the hulu i believe what have you been been checking out hulu uh and have another show that i'm hoping gets a season two uh, it has not been announced if they're going to, but it hasn't been announced if they're canceled. Uh, and I've been, I sort of stumbled across uh, the new Hulu series Reboot, which is about a uh, a TV series, a, like a bad sitcom from the early 2000s being rebooted in 2022. Um, and uh, it's it stars uh, Keegan-Michael Keegan Key, Johnny Knoxville, Rachel Bloom, um, and uh, Paul Reiser, Judy Greer as well. Um, and, uh, it's really fun, right? Because it's sort of set in today's sensibilities. Um, so they're trying to reboot this terrible show. It, it's like a, I think it was inspired by the Roseanne reboot mm-hmm. and the, uh, Fuller House kind of and thing. the Fuller House, that sort of a deal, but it's, um, but it's a behind the scenes comedy, um, with all these really funny, cool characters and, um, talking about, how difficult it is when you have multiple different sensibilities and they have the writing team from the original series and that whole bunch of young people and you have a generational uh, thing going on there. I don't know. Like it's, it's not necessarily like earth shattering, but it's really pleasant and really funny um, and has some, uh, how has long some really are the fun... episodes? Are they like ha- They're just a half, half hour? hour? Okay. Yep. Just the little, little half hour episodes. There's only 10 episodes or eight episodes. Like that's that's literally all it is. Um, it's it's really short. It doesn't take a huge amount of your time, but it's funny. It's charming. Um, I think the writing is good. I find Johnny Knoxville as an actor to be very good. Like yeah. I I find him like he's he's funny. He's got some dramatic chops. Like he's I'm I'm sort of shocked by how talented he is. He's as got a, my hair. He's got your hair. I mean, you know, throw yourself out a window a few more times. You could be Johnny Knoxville. It's funny. I, I I also agree. I I like Johnny Knoxville as an actor, and I really love Steve O as a sober podcast host. His oh, he's, the Wild Ride is great. Yeah. No. I mean, those guys are much more interesting as people than you'd ever expect them to be. Right. Uh, I had heard uh, about this, and I had heard a couple of really lukewarm takes. So I'm glad to hear that you're digging it. I might have to jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you finish you know, it? Look, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, you know, Rachel Bloom is really good in it. Look, is it like going to change your life? No, but it's it's like four hours of your, you know, it's just something I had on while I was playing Red Dead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm like invested in this. This is really fun. There's so much stuff right now. Just like the sheer quantity is almost overwhelming. And so you can't just watch everything. And you're going to miss good stuff, right? So, you know, you got to sort of, it's sort of like <laughs> you have to target various things and you have to find yeah. a couple people whose opinions you appreciate and just go with it. That's how well, I feel. I find, I really love behind the scenes set shows. 
mm-hmm. um, whether it's whether it's Hollywood or sports or theater, whatever it is. Like I love the the behind the scenes stuff, um, you know. And I know I know a lot about theater behind the scenes, right? But Hollywood behind the scenes, I don't really know as much. Yeah, right. And so it's really fun to sort of. Obviously, these are heightened comedic versions of everything. Um, but I, you know, whether it was, um, you know, the Hollywood series that uh, the Ryan Murphy, yeah. was it Ryan Murphy? Yeah, with our boy um, uh, Dylan McDermott. With Dylan McDermott, like I found that really, I just, there's something about it that I still feel, I don't know, I, I, I enjoyed the window behind the scenes. Um, even if I did, from, from the behind the scenes that I do know, how wildly inaccurate it is. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you, Smash and Broadway, yeah, almost no overlap whatsoever. Um, uh, I really think you should fun. check out Players, Keith, on Paramount Plus because I talked about it on a, one of the first Geeklies. Uh, it's about esports. It's a mockumentary about esports. Oh, right, right. But it's like apparently it's very because I don't know much about esports as as much as into gaming as I am, and apparently it's very on the nose with all that stuff, which is really interesting. Speaking of behind the scenes, but yet still is able to do a pistache of it, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so cool. that's that. Check out Reboot. All right. Mike, you want to you talk about some uh, surround sound? I do, you know. Um, so way back in like <laughs> 97 or so, uh, maybe a little later, so whenever the first Jurassic Park came out on, on LaserDisc. So Ooh. my dad bought a LaserDisc player, and we had this big rear projection TV. In my remembrance, it was humongous. Uh, I don't remember nowadays, probably pales in comparison, but I think it was like 65, 75 inches, but square, you know, four by three. That uh, would be huge, It was though. big. It was, it was like th- thousands of pounds because it had that huge projector in the back. It was a rear projection. Um, anyway. The Laserdisc came out in 1994. Okay, so that we're talking 94. So, wow, man, I was young. Anyway, my dad <laughs> had, uh, you know, he went for it when that came out because it, you couldn't just get the Laserdisc because that was like at a, that was big time, that Keith, because that was 480p, all right? It was 480p. Yeah. Not interlaced, pro-aggressive. Um, mm. All the bits of data on there. And so he, he I remember he went, we went to uh, the Tweeter Center, which was like a stereo place. Um, and he, I don't know how much money he spent. I think it was a lot. <laughs> Feels like a lot. And got like a Polk Probably. Audio uh, mm. surround sound system. So there was these two huge speakers in the front, this giant rumbling freaking subwoofer a couple of satellite speakers, but I remember the command center for that thing was fudging. I don't know. Do we curse on this show? I can't remember. Uh, yeah. was freaking insane. I'm pretty tech savvy. You could, he was like, don't touch the buttons, right? We're watching either, uh, uh, apocalypse now, Jurassic park or Yanni live at the Acropolis. Those are your three choices. <laughs> what a, <laughs> confluence and of options don't touch anything just tell me where to watch it and i'll get it going right Yanni, live uh, at the and there was this like magic button you could push if you were just watching tv that would engage this the satellite speakers and give you some sort of simulated surround during television and it was awesome i remember it being incredible i also remember in gaming when i got my first d real like gaming headset and i could hear the different channels and so, and you and I both work in, and always worked with sound and been, been and enjoyed it. Freaking your family, obviously, that's what they do. They design that yep. experience, that immersive sound sure experience. Yeah. And yet, uh, basically, since 
since I met you, I have been rocking always like a middle of the road TV with, you know, like pretty high fidelity, but also I always rock a, uh, I have speakers for my LP player, but for my television, I have a 2.1 uh, soundbar because yep. it's yep. better than the TV speakers, but it's, and it gives you what you need. You get what you need. Yeah, and we live in have, small yeah. spaces and whatnot, but it is what it is. Anyway, yeah, the more I was streaming, I finally uh, got myself. I've been rocking a TLC uh, TCL six series television, which you also have. I also have, which one, I yeah. think still think is probably your best bang for the buck as far as the hell of a TV. I, I helped my brother buy one just two days ago. Uh, yeah, so I think that is like if you're looking for like a affordable high end, you know what I mean, like. Not high end, but affordable high end. Right. The 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 the. I think it's a Toyota Camry of TVs. Okay. In that, like you're you're not paying for the BMW, but you're paying for a high end, mid level, like super reliable, great bang for your buck. It's worth worth spending the extra five hundred bucks, but not the extra thousand mm-hmm. bucks. Yep. I would say neck and neck. You probably came upon this in your research with your brother. The Hisense has a yep. great line now. So you're the, your Hisense H7G or H8G are all sub $1,000 incredible televisions, which are much yep. brighter because they're still LCD technology than your OLED, which goes into a different character uh, right. and another face. So anyway, I recently in um, – I get a bonus for work and stuff, and I convinced my wife we were going to get an, an OLED television. I love this OLED television. Uh, but it was time, Keith, I, and all the streaming stuff I was watching, I keep seeing Dolby Atmos, this, that, the other thing. Yeah. Now, my soundbar is pretty good, and it, like, simulated all this stuff, but I started thinking, what would the jump be? Now, what's funny about this is that, like I said, surround sound 5.1, even 7.1 has been around since – I mean, in yep. home stereo well, since 90s, like the yeah. 90s, maybe before, right? So it's is not a new thing I'm shouting to you. But obviously, we've, as everything has blown up, convenience has taken over. The, you don't want all kinds of stuff. Long story short, I was like, I'm going to s- start researching and just see if there is a high sense or TCL version of – because when you get into high-end audio, you're talking receivers, satellites – decoders it you can get down a well and there's a and it just takes up a lot of space there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff uh and i love the soundbar because it does everything i need it, it sounds pretty good and it just is one wire into my tv right and then i can and with uh, a technology now called arc or e-arc you can plug everything into your television and then just have one wire to your soundbar and everything just works the way it should mostly so I went down the road to research, Keith, this, that, the other thing. And, of course, your Sonys and your LGs and your everybody's got versions of these things, but they're all mostly simulated. So they're just one sound bar and they simulate surround. But I just wanted that experience, that feeling of my dad with the speakers everywhere, blah, blah, blah. Well, I settled finally on the Vizio line. Vizio has released uh, – Vizio, interesting. Vizio who do also do like uh, budget televisions. and televisions yeah. fairly well. They have an M series and a P series. It is a 5.1 surround system. Now, they have this this version the the Vizio line goes up to actually like a $1200 like uh, moving satellite all kinds of crap, right? That you can get really expensive ones that do f- full Atmos decoding or whatnot. But the M series and the P series 
are always on sale. I got mine for sub $300. I have the one you see here. And what it is, is a subwoofer and a soundbar like you probably have on your own television. But in the back of the subwoofer, there are two lined so that they're wired, but it's in the back because usually this, once you put your subwoofer in the back of the room, so you run your wire behind the, the couch or whatever, it goes into these two mm -hmm. satellite speakers and it's full Dolby Atmos decoding. Now, if you really want to get into the technical weeds of it, Atmos is actually height channels. So it's like bouncing sound. So it sounds like it's placed environmentally. This is simulating that because obviously there's no upfiring speakers. They have versions with upfiring speakers, but I didn't want to spend more than $300. That was like my hard budget. Uh, right. and <clears throat> so I settled on the M series, which has Dolby Atmos decoding. So it simulates the sound height channels uh, or the P series, which is like a hundred bucks cheaper uh, is really cheap. It doesn't do that, but I've found if I could go back in time, I would have probably just got the P series because I'm not seeing, hearing any difference uh, with the M series. It just was a little bit more expensive. It's a little higher end, but regardless, I would say either the M series or the P series. And Keith, in my experience, that it, it's almost like the step from 720 to 4K, right? Not really? that, not that first like standard definition to high definition, not that jump. But definitely from 720 to 4K, where you're like, oh, I notice a difference. Right? You know how we watch we know how we watch sports now and we're like, why isn't everything in 4K? Yeah, although honestly, for me, 720 to 1080 was was a bigger leap than 1080 to 4. Yeah. I'm that's Maybe what I'm saying. Like glasses. Yeah. But. Um now I have uh, great headphones, and so I know what surround sound is. I but there's something about sitting on your couch. And, and now YouTube TV has just finally gotten to 5.1 surround. Uh, everything is everything on Netflix and all your streaming services has dedicated well-mixed 5.1. Yes, you can do 7.1 and all that, I know, but I didn't want that. I wanted the, the nexus of simplicity, cheap, and good, right? right? Which is what the, the, the trifecta is. And I think this is it. Keith, I, I think, it, it, especially for your setup, the way you've got it with those two chairs and your front face. Oh, I wanted to show you how kind of discreet it is. Okay, so here is uh, my television. And you can see, look, it's just a soundbar, right? Yeah. Uh, it's nothing. Let me blow it up a little bit. It's just, there she is. Pretty easy. Nothing. Yep, this looks like a standard soundbar. Sound yep. But then, boop. And see that? This is, there's the satellite. Yeah, she just, just sits little there. satellites. Yeah, and then I tuck the, the subwoofer next to the couch. The wires run behind yep. the couch. You don't even see it. Yeah, all right. I'll, I will admit I'm tempted by that. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you. Uh, if, especially if you can find like a Black Friday sale or like a Christmas sale or something, it's totally worth it. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I got mine for okay. super cheap at Walmart, but we will have Amazon affiliate links down below. Oh, yes, we will. Oh, good. To, yeah, good idea. Uh, cool. All right. Well, we've been talking for a long time, so I'll be I'll be very brief about this. But I wanted to um, speaking about uh, peeks behind the curtain and uh, little views into uh, backstage world. Um, one of the my day job, I work for a company called Theatrical Index, which is a theater um, industry publication. 
where um, we're not for fans. We're not. We are literally for producers and general managers and casting agents, that kind of stuff. People who are actively working in the industry, um, because we're sort of the who, what, where, when, and everything but the why of Broadway, off Broadway, world premieres, tours, that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the things that we do, and one of the things that I, I, we get interrupted every single week on Tuesdays Tuesday, to put yeah. out a newsletter um, because the <clears throat> the Broadway League announces the grosses of the Broadway shows. And what does that mean? The grosses of the Broadway shows are each week how many, how much money they took in from ticket sales. And um, I think for, if you're not in the, in the industry and you're not sort of watching all of this stuff, I don't think people have any sense of what Broadway shows make, what their expenses are. And I could, you know, I could do an entire series on this and maybe I will, maybe I'll break it down and start talking about this because I think um, there's a lot of people in the business, people actively working in the business who don't have a really good sense of how all of this works. Um, And that is, you know, obviously shows, all Broadway shows have a set set of expenses and they, you know, basically they're, renting the theater and paying the actors and paying the writers and paying the company manager and the stage manager and the general manager and the advertising budget and the playbill budget. There's, there's a whole mess of things. Broadway shows are very expensive, not just to capitalize and produce at the beginning, right? Because you have to build the set. You Mm -hmm. have to, you know, do all the rehearsal, that kind of stuff. But each show has a weekly nut they have to meet as well. Um, Just, just to keep the doors open expenses um which are usually in the hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah like often you think about movies and you hear about how expensive the budget was right but those production costs once the film wraps and is edited are done they are Are now then now you're just making money whereas in broadway you're basically producing that movie entirely on a daily basis on a daily basis and and it's a huge expense so if you're if you're wicked i don't know what wicked's numbers are but i would imagine it probably costs three hundred four hundred thousand dollars five hundred thousand dollars maybe a week just to put it up so that when you look at your grosses for the week that's gone Mm. off the top of these numbers so Every week, the Broadway League, uh, but now that the pandemic is over, because they'd been reported forever, but they shut down after the uh, the pandemic. But you can see the numbers here. What we get is the uh, the total gross of the shows, and the uh, the attendance and the capacity and the average paid admission. These are the numbers that we look at. Oh, interesting. Um, if you're if you're a producer. You want to know how how is your show doing? This is a really good sense of whether or not the show is making money or losing money. So you um, get you take the full price tickets sold and you take those like all the deals in the Broadway box and they average them together. They right, the average so the the last thing on here is the average paid admission, right? So you have you have discounts, you have free tickets given out, you have comps given out. Mm. Um you have the premium tickets. So these are all of them put together. So if you sort at the highest, the Music Man right now, the average paid admission was $262. So hugely expensive to go see the Music Man, but the Music Man is grossing 2.8 million dollars a week, which is a crazy amount of money. So they're doing great and yet they're playing at 89% capacity because huh. they are doing no discounts, please. Yeah. Uh, How's that beautiful however, noise doing? A beautiful noise? Beautiful noise. 
uh, is actually doing relative well. They well, you know, not bad. This is the first week they opened. Right, they got uh, some reviews yesterday. last night, which weren't particularly flattering. So we'll see how that affects everything. So this this is what we in the industry we're checking this. So you take a beautiful noise. Now the data we have now is just from previews. So last week they put in almost a million dollars, which um, is not is is not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a musical. A musical, it's big, um, and uh, their average ticket price was $162, but they were only playing at 65% capacity, mm. uh, which is which is not good. So it's but in the industry right now, we are tracking that. Okay, what are their ticket sales after the reviews at which dropped yesterday? Now that they've opened, what are they gonna do? How long can they survive? Mm. Right? Because as you said, one in only one in five shows makes their money back. So uh it's a terrible investment unless it's not. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, unless it's Hamilton, unless it's unless it's it's Moulin Rouge, which is doing great too. Um, but it's it you can from this, if you have been reading these for a long time, I can tell you with relative certainty what shows are going to close, what shows are going to survive, how long they're going to run, um, in in all likelihood. And some of them are limited runs. Um you know, but but certainly, you know, if you look at the at the lower end of things, if you're K-pop right now, I'm pretty nervous um, because you're you're up from last week, but you're you're not making your expenses back. If right. If their gross is two hundred twenty-four thousand dollars this week, that's not meeting their expenses, especially well, with advertising and that kind of stuff. Well, let so me ask you, money. Let me ask you yeah. sort of like a question then, like okay. Um, let's say a show has like now uh, been losing money pretty consistently on a weekly basis. Yeah. What is, what is the, and I know this, it changes, right? Because obviously if it's a type of show that can, has types of roles that could potentially facilitate stunt casting, that's Mm -hmm. an option. There are options, but in general, if a show is just like not making money, people aren't coming to see it or, or maybe they are, they're just not making money. Like you said, uh, how long do investors and producers allow things to run generally before they post? Like, and by that I mean, say we're going to close X date. We're going to close. <clears throat> well, I mean, there's a lot of variables there, um, including what is your purpose for being on Broadway? Mm. <laughs> you know, is this a advertisement for subsequent produ- productions? Um, you know, do you have hope that sales are going to tick up? Right. So if you're if you're uh if you've got a show and it's not doing well at the beginning, Spring Awakening, perfect example. Spring Awakening in previews and early in its run was really struggling. But the word of mouth was holy crap, this is amazing. Right. And it was sort of spinning around. The word of mouth was great, but we haven't had nobody knows what it is yet. Mm. Right. The the general audience isn't has no idea what this is. Um and they waited until the Tonys came out. They're like, do I have a chance of winning some awards? Is the word of mouth good? Are, you know, Spring Ranking swept all the Tonys, and then it became an impossible ticket for like a year after like having nobody in the house for until the Tonys. So if you feel like you have hope there, yes. Do you have a star that you might be able to get in? And and can you can you try to goose it there? What kind of reserve do you have? Right, so these these productions um, will have an amount of money set aside to keep them open, 
to survive for a while? Do you have a marketing plan? Do you have a, do you have a new, are you, you know, have you found a way to be on the today show or something? Do you hope for a bump like that? Um, so there's, there's a lot going in there, but at some point you have to be able to realize, you know what, if we're two months into the run and we're, and we're just breaking even you're toast. Right. And, but also as part of it is seasonal, right? Mm-hmm. The winter is bad. The summer is bad. Are you breaking even in August? And you can hope to get into Thanksgiving, Christmas, and can you then try to push it until the beginning of January, which is when a lot of shows close. The beginning of January, you get through the holidays because there's a huge bump in the business, and then you shut it down. So the, um, I, I always I, I think about it sort of like Black Monday <laughs> after the after the New Year's. I'll get the press release with how many shows mm. are announcing their closing right then. Um, so I mean, there's there's just an endless amount of factors, and you know it it does get into why why are you there? Do you think it's going to pick up? Are you going to try to make your money on Broadway? Are you going to try to run forever on Broadway, or are you doing a limited run to legitimize this so that you can tour it? Do you have a tour plan? Do you not have a tour plan? Are you going to go straight to regional theaters? Um, there's there's a lot. Are you going to film it? Are you going to put a right. cast album? There's there's so many different factors. Um, that go into it, but it's a, it's a tough, it's tough, you know, take beautiful noise, um, as, as the, uh, as the example, which, um, I, I think now that it's opened, you know, it's, it's done, it's done relatively well, grosses wise, um, so far through previews, we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, and, uh, but, you know, uh, this is the Neil Diamond musical. If you're if you're wondering, um, but okay, how does it do in the next couple of weeks? Right? Are we are we are we selling out? Are we are we making our expenses? Um, but for them, yes, obviously you want the show to run forever and ever on Broadway and make a lot of money. However, this show's going to tour well. Mm-hmm. It's going to do stuff at regionals really well. So you're it's your a type of show you here, see like you know and and that I don't think reviews are particularly could you know it could be it's one of those shows that doesn't hurt reviews are never going to be that good for yeah if you're box. looking at shows on a list because generally tourists go and buy tickets last minute right and they think they're looking at a list of shows that are on discount and you see neil diamond i know neil diamond love neil diamond i'm gonna go see neil diamond so the quality right. of production is particular but that's not always the case of course yeah well i mean you know it, jukeboxes are just like any other genre most of them fail um but when they succeed and when they're Jersey boys, you can, you know, buy an Island. So, um, and of course the, you know, with the jukebox musical jukebox musical meeting, uh, sorry, we get into the weeds, meaning a musical using existing music. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, Jersey boys. It's all the four seasons music. And this is all Neil diamond music or mama Mia was all ABBA music. And so you write a story around that. And there's a couple of different ways to do that. One, you write an original story, like Mamma Mia was, you do a bio musical like this is, like A Beautiful Noises. Um, Tina. Or Tina, right, exactly. And so there's there's a lot of different things you can do with it. Um, but uh, yeah, so, but their, but their objective is bigger than just Broadway. Broadway will always be the biggest first class, this will be the best production of it, unless they rewrite it afterwards, which they very well may. Um, 
But you have the the record companies are a factor in this too, mm. because the owners of the uh, of the Neil Diamond catalog, which rarely is Neil Diamond, mm-hmm. they're getting royalties off of this, so they're happy to have it up. And if you know, like I, I've worked with with Sony a lot, and Sony owns a lot of this IP. They don't care if the show makes money because they're getting residuals off it, no matter what. Yeah, and so, they'll probably release a cast recording, and that'll make money. Hopefully, that all, and it'll all boost of that. sales so of other Neil Diamond stuff. And for them, it's passive income mm-hmm. because if you own a catalog of music. This is why they're excited about developing jukebox musicals because they don't have to do anything, right? They already own the catalog. You find other ways to exploit it. They make money. They don't care if the show makes. Obviously, you know, the, the longer the show runs, the more money they make. But oh, they're but less... Oh, gangbusters on tour, regionally. I mean, people will go see... Right, community Diamond, theaters. So yeah, it's like, gonna be, it's, it's going to be done it's There's be done money forever. to be made. There is money to be made. And, you know, it's it's... It's such a complicated business. I, I don't think I've done a very good job describing any of this, but I we could do an entire show on how... In fact, like, we are. In development right now is a jukebox musical of original Keith Varney tunes called Podcasters, the musical. Uh, <laughs> keep your eyes open as we release it week to week <laughs> well, via <I> podcast. Mean, <laughs> I, I, hey, look, my... I, I, it, and and we, should, we should wrap up, but like I'm actively working on a musical that started as a jukebox musical... Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, and then it, uh, the, the, we had a rights thing come up at the last second. So not, not able to use the, the, uh, the prop, all the music that I had been planning. So then I, uh, ended up writing my own music to it. So I have a fake jukebox musical. Yeah. It's fair to say they come with their own set of challenges. They, uh, they certainly do. And, and I think about, uh, boy, am I happy I wrote an original story and not a bio musical because that would have been real hard to replace all the music. Yeah, you might have been just up the creek at that point. I've been, but I've been up the creek a few times in this biz, let me tell nah, you. Uh, Keith, your time is it's but, uh, uh, no, it's, no, no, no. It's I, I'm very proud of the show, I'm very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, it's really good. I'm, I'm excited for you to be able to start kind of like previewing some of it. It's really it's yeah. fun, it's fun being in you know and seeing things develop, but it's also kind of uh. You know, there's an anticipation factor because this, this shit takes time, and uh, it takes forever. Know, it takes forever. Well, and and you uh, <laughs> and you actually are one of like the four people in the entire universe who actually has read both versions of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, back in the day, anyway, Mike, take us home. Well, folks, there we are. Uh, KM Geekly is back. Listen, as Keith said, we're still finding the show. So if there are things you'd like to hear us talk about or, or yeah. kind of off the wall topics you're interested in, you'd love to hear our take on, let us know below in the comments. Mm. We appreciate all the input. We appreciate those of you who do take the time to listen and, and uh, you know, tell a friend. And if you somehow found this through the algorithm, because I talked about Wednesday and that seems to be a popular show right now, and you're new to Keith and Mike and somehow made it to the end here, we have other shows. We talk about Deep Space Nine every week. Uh, on a show called Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Very creative title. We also talk about Star Trek toys on Look at My Star Trek Toys, but it's so much more than that as we check out creators and their custom figures using the existing Playmates toys, and we look at other toys. And we also have a patron at patreon.com slash K&M. Thanks to these fine folks. You can find out more there. If you liked anything we talked about today, uh, as far as gadgets are concerned, uh, you can find some... Affiliate links below, those help the channel. You can also help us out by giving us a like or subscribing or just telling a buddy. Listen, we appreciate you. That's all I have to say. Keith, until next week, my friend, 
We'll put our fingers up. We salute those who have joined us, and we can only say, keep on geeking on. That's it. That's my tag. That's it. That's my tag.